Welcome, adventurers. The promise of answers much needed, of aid of a higher power, has set Esmeray upon a journey, led by a mysterious guide. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Exiting Artist Port under the enormous northern archway, the pace picked up. A mile clear of the gate, Esmeray opened the curtain. A quick scan of the sky showed her guide was still with her. The raven led her two days north to Feld's Crossing, a fair-sized city, but much smaller than Artist Port. From the crossroad, it was three days east to the doorstep of Borgen. She did not shelter there, but turned instead north again, following the route road along the foot of the Shalshalis. All the while the raven remained in sight, never close, but always within view. They passed many small holdings. Five more days on the road brought her to a spot where her dark guide had landed, at a much smaller road that turned east into the mountains. As the carriage slowed, the bird hopped three times toward the mountain and then took flight east. From there, the pace slowed considerably. This road was not much wider than the carriage and was in much poorer condition than the other roads. The route turned this way and that, following the lay of the land and cutting across slopes in its steeper parts. The forest was thick on this part of the mountain, and the dark trees seemed to reach down around the trail, giving the illusion of a dark tunnel on many stretches. On a cold and gray afternoon of the eleventh day, the road emerged at last from the mountains and on to the highland moor. It appeared an endless expanse of dull green and gray. Low fog clung to the ground in places, oddly motionless, as if someone had forgotten a blanket here and there. From this point, the ragged road turned south to move along the back of the mountains they had just descended. That is not the way the raven flew. It flew straight out into the vast moors, circling some two hundred paces away, finally drifting down to land when it saw the carriage had not followed. Esmeray was not sure if the carriage would pass easily over the thick tufts of grass. She urged the carriage on a bit at a slow pace. It was less than ten paces of travel before she knew this would not serve. Even at the reduced pace, the carriage rattled and lurched, one bump sending her out of her seat, the top of her head brushing the fine velvet ceiling. On foot it was then. She gathered her possessions and stepped out of the cart. Shutting the door, she looked in all directions. None had she passed on the way up the mountain. None could she see, for as far as her vision would reach. She knocked on the door of the carriage with her staff, and the click of a lock could be heard. If there were any would-be robbers in this desolate range, 
and they were welcome to steal the transport. She could always find it afterwards. And if she was made to fetch it, those that had taken it would very much wish they hadn't. She turned east. The raven called. Lead on, dark wings, she thought. Lead on. The raven took to flight. For many bells she walked steadily on, the raven flying ahead, landing when need be so as to not leave her behind. Soul's light faded. Argent rose while Cerise hung low. Nearly full, Argent cast down its silvery light. The night had taken on a deep chill, and the low fog now covered all the ground. It was as if she walked atop the clouds, the misty white swirling around her as she passed. More time passed, and Arjun's travels left it hanging low in the eastern sky. Her legs ached from the miles and miles she had passed on this uneven terrain. But the raven did not stop, and neither did she. At last, up ahead, a change to the endless field of fog. A silvery ribbon of smoke rose up into the infinite blanket of night. The raven headed unerringly toward it. A half a bell later, Esmeray made out the flickering of firelight. A half a bell after that, with Arjun beginning to sink into the dark horizon, she reached a structure. It sat low on the ground and was made of stacked stone with a thick, sawed roof. The firelight she had seen shone from a small window, a pace south of a door. The ground sloped down to the door, indicating that much of the structure was dug in. The raven had landed atop the roof, not far from the squat chimney from which the smoke issued. Esmeray stopped ten paces from the door, looking at the bird. She supposed she should knock but that proved unnecessary. The low door swung in, and the firelight framed a dark silhouette. A few moments passed, and then the form spoke. Come in, you have journeyed far. And then it stepped out of the light, leaving the door open. Esmeray cast one last glance at the raven, which let out a singular caw before taking flight again and continuing east. She made her way to the threshold and paused, letting her eyes adjust to the dim firelight. She had to duck to pass through the door. Even inside, her head nearly touched the smoke-stained timber that supported the roof. She waved her hand, and the door closed. The figure stood before the fire, back to her, scooping some slop from a blackened iron pot. As it turned, she saw it to be a man. He wore a black wool tunic over leggings of rough-spun gray, the same materials the woman had worn. His cowl was drawn up, but she could see his face was gaunt as well, eyes sunken in the fashion of malnourishment or exhaustion. The eyes looked as if they were trying to be blue, as if it was a painter's intent, but having run out of pigment, and being forced to spread it thin. The inside of the hovel was small, six paces by eight. 
Besides the fire and the pot, there was only a low round table in the middle of the room and two stools. A large clay jar stood in one corner. Rough wool blankets covered grass-stuffed mattresses, which lay directly atop the packed dirt floor in two corners. Two rabbits, a few bushels of dry herbs, a pan, and utensils hung from rafters near the fire. The man plunked down a bowl on the table near her and nodded to it. Esmeray made no move. How much further until your master's abode? She asked. The weary eyes stared back, unblinking. Time for questions tomorrow. Eat if you will, and then sleep. Esmeray's eyes flashed in anger. She took a threatening step forward and raised her staff. She was not accustomed to being rebuked. All the ways she could bend this waif to her will ran through her exhausted mind, her patience, then. But as she did, the man did not so much as move. He did not flinch or recoil. No worry for harm to his own person passed through those watery eyes. This odd turn gave her pause, and she studied him. It was not out of bravery, but resignation. This man cared nothing for his life. What was she to make of this? He nodded once more to her, and then the stew, and then moved to the bedding nearest his corner, squatting down. She had nothing but questions, but it was clear there were no answers to be had this night. The man bedded down, pulling his blanket over him. Esmeray stared a while before setting her staff aside and picking up the bowl. She sniffed at it and then tasted it. It was bland and the meat was tough. She ate it all. Returning the bowl to the table, she took up her staff once more and turned toward the door. Staff lifted, she was about to start casting protection on this door when the man's voice came from the corner of the room. You are the most dangerous thing for a day's walk or more in any direction. Esmeray stopped, staff held aloft, and then with a scowl turned toward the other bedding and lay herself down. The mattress was uncomfortable. The blanket was itchy. It was against her every instinct to sleep unprotected in a strange place. She had walked far today, been up over long. The fire crackled and popped. Sleep took her. By all rights, she should have sat up in a panic. As a vision of the room materialized, Esmeray knew she had slept. Slept much longer than she had in a very long time. Laying here still, she felt as if she could drift off again. Sleep the week away. A part of her mind was screaming at her carelessness for sleeping in a strange room with a strange man, with no protection in place whatsoever. It was madness. The remainder of her mind was an uncharacteristic calm. It did not consider what next, did not think of all the plots she had moving in the world. And for the first time since she had seen it as a child, the heart was not the first thing she considered upon waking. There was quiet in her mind 
and in the hut. Groggy eyes focused on the embers of the fire glowing with orange light. Where was her host, she wondered. Esmeray knew she should get up. All her thoughts and motivation lay just beyond the edge of her mind, as if they were knocking over loudly on a door, demanding to come in, demanding she get up and resume her journey. But there was a reluctance. She had the oddest sensation that once she let that part of her mind take hold again, she would never experience the simple peace of this moment. Ever again. Was this peace what death would be like? With that thought, forty-three years of anger and frustration kicked down the door, and the peace was gone. Esmeray sat up, a scowl on her face. Darkness still pervaded the room, and with naught but the single dirty window, she could not guess at the time of day. Casting her blanket aside, she stood, muscles aching from a night spent on the ground. She considered the door. Would looking for her host be worth it? Instead, she turned toward the fire, taking the few steps necessary to reach it. There was no wood. Instead, a small pile of dried turf. Pete. Her fingers moved nimbly, a ghostly hand appearing to pick some of the peat up and adding it to the embers. It caught, and the fire flickered back to life. As the fire brightened, the door behind her opened. Her host came in with two small birds clutched in one hand. The door was shut, and the man came to the table, placing down his catch. He went to the jar near the corner of the room, removed the lid, and poured its contents, water, into the cast-iron pot before placing it over the fire once more. He turned and sat upon one of the stools and began plucking the feathers from the birds. Not once during all of this did the man look at her, acknowledge her. It was as if she did not exist. Esmeray's anger was returning. I have eaten. I have slept. It is time for answers. Feathers plucked, feathers cast aside. No response, no turn of his head. Her hands went into tight fists. If she killed this one, surely another would be sent, or the raven would return. But after how long? I was told you would have directions for me, a way to speak to. Without turning to look at her, he began to speak before she finished. In two bells time, with Solwell down, you shall head east. You will follow Arjun's path in the sky. Follow it until it sits upon the horizon. There you shall find a tree. That tree marks the beginning of the path to my master's realm. From the tree head east. East until you can see Arjun no more. Esmeray considered the man. He went on with his preparations. After twenty beats, it was quite clear he would say no more. Esmeray gathered her staff and made for the front door. She had had enough of half-answers and being dismissed. Two bells spent in this company seemed wholly unnecessary. As she lifted her hand to wave the door open, the man spoke again. 
If you go now, you will not find the tree. Without the tree, you shall not find the path. If you do not find the path tonight, it shall not return for many years. An animal-like snarl escaped Esmeray's lips. She turned to stare the ragged man down with eyes of green flame. To her surprise, he was already staring directly at her with cold, dead eyes. Something passed over the man's face, like a memory of emotion. You could go back. You needn't follow this path. Her anger was stymied into genuine confusion. I have come this far. Why would I turn back? As she searched the man's face for any sign, waiting at last for an answer, both of the man's pupils expanded rapidly, liquid black replacing the sickly blue. They continued to expand until she could see no whites. A single tear formed at the corner of his right eye, and then dripped slowly down his face. A tear of blood? It could not be. It was certainly the dirt upon his face and a trick of the firelight. The man sat unmoving, black eyes turned upon her. Esmeray's heartbeat quickened. It was as if the raven looked upon her. It took all of her will to keep the fear at bay. The man shuddered. His eyes returned as they were but a moment before. One last look, a look of sadness, and then he dropped his head and returned to his work. Two bells. They spoke no further. They ate another flavorless stew and then sat in silence. The end of two bells was marked as the man stood and walked to the door, opening it. It is time. As Esmeray looked at the man who was alive, but may as well have not been, a panic tried to claw its way in. It tried to push the morning's feelings of peace back into her. It pushed the man's words. You needn't follow this path. But then another voice came. You are in your late thirties. Forty, maybe. So the clock begins now. I doubt you will find it in the fifty or so years you have remaining. The first voice was crushed. Esmeray stood and made her way outside of the hut. It was cold, the ground covered in its blanket of white mist. Overhead, Arjun had just begun the descent east toward the horizon. She faced east and began to walk. It seems we are close now, but close to what? Will we finally see what lies at the end of this path? Join me next week for part four of The Path Beyond the Wall.
fail. It's just me uh, here to express my gratitude to you, the listener. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Uh, Today you're struggling. I hope you find comfort soon. If you're up right now and things are going great, I I hope I can share in that and hope I'm just a little piece of what uh, made you happy today. And if you are anywhere in between, uh, I'm sending my thoughts out to you. Please take care and uh, keep listening. It really means the world.